good to see you all again. Um, I know that you guys are probably thinking, hey, we didn't read our scripture yet. We're going to do it a little bit differently today. I'm going to read this, uh, portions of the scripture as we go along, okay? Um, let me just open us up in prayer. Okay, let me just get my situa- myself situated here first. All right. Father, we have gathered in your name. You have promised that when two or three are gathered in your name, that you will be here with us, Lord. So we come in anticipation that you will meet us, that you will feed us, that you will touch us, Lord. I pray that the living water will flow through this place, touching everyone. I pray that you will awaken us, that you will revive us, that you will restore us through your word, Lord. Draw our hearts closer to you and to one another. May this time be honoring to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, as Eliza said, that by the draw of the luck, I have um, the privilege <laughs> of speaking on Acts chapter 5. So I, um, it's, I think like this is week 7 of, of your series. And as you can see, you know, we're moving slowly through the book of Acts. So if you can, please try to read you know, book of Acts ch- one chapter or two chapters ahead of time so that you kind of be uh, familiar as different guests come, right? Um, different pastors come and we all have sort of different um, perspective that we bring in because we come from different spaces, and so um, it'll be good for you to glean from the word itself first uh, before you hear other people, um, people's opinions, thoughts, and what they glean, right? And so I encourage you to just um, encounter the word before you come to church. So it's just maybe one chapter, possibly two at the most per week. So um, yeah, I hope that that helps you and just being grounded in the word of the Lord, okay? All right, um, I'm going to read. Um, as, as Pastor Ken, I, I listened to the, the, the last week's sermon, and Pastor Ken said, you know, this chapter is a very delicate chapter, but a rich one. Um, so we're gonna roll up our sleeves and dig into it. So we're gonna start from Acts chapter four, actually, 32, because it gives us a context to chapter five. All right, so we're gonna, uh, I'll read it for us. I'm gonna read a portion of it now, and then I'm gonna read the rest of it um, in a little bit, okay? And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection uh, of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there, were, there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of the land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would, dis- they would be distributed to each to the extent that, they, that any had need. So right now we see in our scripture the work of the Holy Spirit resulting in unite, uh, unity and love. Because it, start, it tells us that they were, right? They, they were all in one heart and mind. They, were, they held everything in common. They experienced great power and great grace. And everyone's needs were met because 
everyone gave generously and willingly. So, if you remember several weeks back that I had when I uh, taught on chapter two, this description was found back then as well. And what we find here in chapter four is almost verbatim what was in chapter two, which tells us that Luke is trying to highlight something for us. Luke is telling us that their community is different from any other communities they were together. Remember, most of the believers are here were Jewish descent. So they're used to being in synagogues. They are religious people. But what they're experiencing in their community is vastly different. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the only reason, only uh, factor that causes us human beings to be different than our human nature. The human nature of greed, of, of self-promotion, of self-protection, of, of jealousy, and, and all of that. It, Holy Spirit is the only, only agent that helps us to be different than what our human nature is. And, and our author is describing, he's setting up a frame for us in this context saying, hey, there's something different going on in this community. See, the community that they lived in, this culture they lived in, is, um, was under sort of a patronage system. I don't know if you guys understand that kind of system. But basically, people who were wealthy, people who had power, people who had, um, had strength, they would give offer their help to those who were weak, those who were poor, those who were inferior, so that the people who were in power, in, 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 who were wealthy, could increase their honor, to increase their status in the community. So it was, they, they were giving always with some, it's like, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine, kind of a system. But we find that because of Holy Spirit, their, their community was vastly different than the culture they lived in. People were giving generously. People were giving without any strings attached. People were giving beyond themselves. Okay, so this is a picture that the author is uh, 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 painting for us as we move into the main, main story. Now, I'm gonna continue to read from chapter 4, 36. Now, there's going to be two stories that are coming up that, that exemplifies what this giving generously looks like, okay? There are going to be two contrasting stories that are coming up. So let's look at chapter 4, 36. Now, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, uh, oh, it's a different translation, okay. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at apostles' feet. Now, in a different translation, that part now says, but. Okay, so we know that there is a contrast here. But, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? 
didn't belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. See why it's kind of a tender scripture? <laughs> and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about it, these events. This is the word of the Lord. What a story, right? What a story. Now, um, let me just address the elephant in the, in the room, in the story, okay? The, when we read stories like this, immediately our attention goes to justice of God. Meaning, was that punishment? Like, does that line up with what they did? Was, did they have to die? Like, how many of you thought that? as you were listening or as you heard this story before? None of you? Just me? Oh, yes, one, thank you. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like you read the story and go, what? You know, they still gave. Why did they have to die, right? And, and so we have this, this struggle with justice of God. All I want to say to that today, it's because it's a lot to unpack, and, and mostly we don't have answers. Do you love that when pastors say we don't have answers? <laughs> but we don't have answers, because justice of God belongs only to God. He's the ultimate author, and he will have a final say. We can speculate, but we don't know for sure. But what I know from this scripture and what I glean from this scripture is this, that body of Christ, which means the church, not just the building, but the people in it, the church, THMC, the body of Christ is a prized possession for God. It's God's prized possession. So God takes body of Christ, the church, very seriously. And he, whoever harms it, taints it, bring bad word into it, they may not drop dead like Ananias and Sapphira, as we find in our scripture today, but we will all have to answer to our God. Because church is God's prized possession. Okay? So that's all I have to say about that elephant in the room. The other, I mean, the rest, we're gonna have to just wait until we go to heaven and ask God, God, this is one of the conversations I just wanna have with you, right? Why? Because a lot of whys in our world cannot be answered easily. It's very complicated. 
and God's knowledge, God's sovereignty is so deep that mere men like myself cannot even attempt to scratch the surface of his understanding, his view, okay? So I wanna just at least say that before we move into looking at the differences of the story. Now we have first Barnabas, who came, he was a, a Levite, he came and sold his property and laid at the apostles' feet, which means that was an open offering, like public offering, right? People were doing it and he did it just like others have done it. And if you know Barnabas, okay, um, Barnabas is one who, I mean, first of all, he has a great nickname. He's, a, he's an encourager. How would you like to be known to be an encourager? Whoever sees you, that's an encourager. That person's an encourager. You know, that person knows how to breathe life into people. That person knows how to give courage to other people. I mean, that's a great nickname to have, right? So here is Barnabas, and he is one to vouch for Paul later on to the apostles. Because Saul, before he became Paul, was notorious for killing uh, Christians. And when he met Jesus, it was Barnabas who brought him along and said, vouch for him to the other apostles. It was him and Paul that made so many journeys, missionary journeys, and preached the gospel. And later on in chapter 11 of Acts, he, Barnabas is described as a, being a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. So this is the story of Barnabas. In contrast to that, we have this couple. A couple who sold a piece of land, but they connived to, to hold some of it back, right? And then they portray themselves to be generous like Barnabas, but they weren't actually generous like they wanted to portray themselves, right? Now, the, the, this portion here, the problem here is not the amount of what they gave. It's not even the fact that they held back what they, of their own money, right? But the, the deception is that they tried to be, they wanted to seem like they gave it all when they actually didn't. They wanted to maybe perhaps wanted to be like Barnabas, spiritually like elite or whatever. Like they wanted, maybe they wanted some kind of spiritual position, at recognition, admonition, right? They, maybe that's what they were looking for. Or maybe they were wanting to gain influence by giving, just like they would have received in their culture. But the reality is, the bottom line is that they deceived people as if they were generous, that as if they were giving everything they had when they weren't. It is the matter of the heart, isn't it? That God takes our heart seriously. And this is what I believe is going on in this, in this scripture, that their heart is being examined. Now, I have a, an embarrassing 
story to share with you guys. Um, it was just this past Wednesday. I, my friend and I went to a worship service together at a church. Just the worship sets for two hours. It was amazing. We were just worshiping the Lord. And I'm like singing, following along. And then at times I'm listening, being mesmerized by others who just love the Lord singing before the Lord, right? And then um, I like happened to at one point listen to my friend singing. Now she is a worship leader, an amazing singer, just like Janet here. And as I was listening to her, I was just like, oh, you know, she was harmonizing and, and doing crazy stuff that I can't do. And so I just was like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to sing, you know, because I was in choir many, many decades ago, I could do something. So I, was, I started to like harmonize. I was trying to like get the notes and, and all this. And, and if, you, if any of my family members who are here, they would be horrified because I am known to not sing well. And for me to harmonize anything would take a miracle. But here I am, worshiping, trying to worship the Lord, but I am like now distracted by making this harmony happen, right? And more I try, more off-key I am, right? I don't know if, if, if you ever um, feel, know what I'm feeling, right? Um, I'm, and then I'm like trying to like close one ear to hear myself. <laughs> and in the midst of it, I realize that I have stopped worshiping God and started to perform. I lost the focus of why I was there, right? Now I am just, I don't know, having fun on my own and not worshiping the Lord. Have you guys ever had that kind of moment where you guys have tried to sort of impress yourself or impress others, and as a result, you lose focus of who you are or what you're all about or selling yourself short? I believe that the story of Ananias and Sapphira tells us that they have lost their authentic self in trying to impress others. What Barnabas did was he was true to himself and his conviction, and he lived to impress God. So our first lesson here is to live to impress God. But Ananias and Sephora, they were more interested in impressing others in return impressing themselves. What's bad about that or what's tricky about that is that when we live to impress people, we will also die by that endeavor. When we try to impress people, we see in the scripture we lose the approval of God because our focus gets misplaced. And the other thing that happens is that we also lose ourselves along the way. Now, um, in, verse, in verse, if we go back to chapter 4, 31, there is a, uh, a, a, a portion that says that John and Peter, they came back from being held, and then they come to their friends, and they have this amazing worship set, and then the Holy Spirit fills them, okay? Now, remember in chapter two, people are already baptized in the Holy Spirit, 
right? They were baptized in the Holy Spirit, yet in chapter 4, when they're gathered together, they were filled with the Holy Spirit again, the same people. So that tells me that filling of the Holy Spirit is an ongoing process, right? If, if, if the, the disciples of Jesus were filled by the Holy Spirit and was continued to fill by the Holy Spirit, how much more so we should be continuously filled by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5:18, Paul reminds us, he commands us to continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the way that we are to live. Now, in contrast to these believers who were being filled with the Holy Spirit, in our scripture, we see what's happening to Ananias and Sapphira. What has caused them to be inauthentic? What has caused them to sell themselves short? It says uh, in chapter 5, 3, it says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Or how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? NIV says, but I think the Passion Translation conveys this even better. It says, why did you let Satan fill your heart? Similarly, in Message Bible, it says, how did Satan get, to get you to lie to the Holy Spirit? The contrast is that the disciples and their friends were filled with the Holy Spirit, and Ananias and Sapphira were filled with Satan. Just as we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, Satan can fill our hearts. And to take a note here, we are active participants in who gets to fill our hearts. Okay? Now, while I believe that scripture does not support the premise that believers, true believers, can be possessed by Satan, by demon, it is clear from this passage in Acts, that believers can be controlled by demonic spirit, okay? So although Satan had influence over Ananias, he still had his own will to commit, to agree to commit to that sin. Satan can influence, but he cannot commit the sin for us, okay? Thus, Ananias and Sapphira were responsible for their deeds. Do you get that? They were responsible. They may have been influenced, but they are the ones who decided to commit. They allow the Satan to fill their hearts. And we, as Christians, have the decision who gets to fill our hearts. Who gets to fill our hearts? You know, we think, oh, Holy Spirit, so, you know, he'll do whatever, you know, and I'm just a passive, like, what I, I'm just a passive person. If God comes on me, he does. If God touches me, he does. You know, I have no saying in it. Similarly, you know, Satan, he's so powerful, he can overtake me, and, you know, Satan made me do it. No. We are active participants in our own lives. God's very gift to human being is our human will. And we get to make that choice. Even though, as believers, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we can live a life without being tapped into that power. How? It's like having an outlet, a power outlet in the walls, but we're not, there's nothing plugged into it. 
We can be, we can have the Holy Spirit as Christians, but if we're not plugged into him, we're not remaining in him, then we're not going to experience that power in our lives. So what does it look like to be plugged into the power of the Holy Spirit? I'm gonna just bring us to a close in this. Okay. Being plugged in feels first feels like this. It is having the surge of love of God flowing through us. And we talk about love a lot in church. Right? And it can just become very sort of simple, you know, cliche that we say. But have, have you truly experienced God's love surge through you? Have you experienced the love of a good, good God go through your being, your soul, your spirit, your body in such a way that you cannot deny that you're a beloved one? of God. When we experience such kind of love, then we automatically have this motivation only to impress the one who loves me. We're not seeking to be loved, but we are already loved, and that motivates me to love God back. To, to impress God, not in, a, not in a manipulative way, not in a you know, insurance, uh, insurance from hell kind of way, but true loving way. Knowing that he is, he, he is just immensely in love with me, that he cheers for me, that he's on my side, that he is encouraging me, saying, good, go girl, you can do it that he, I, am, I am utterly accepted. That is the first way to experience the power of God, that we are protected, we're provided for, that we don't have to live this life as orphans. And by being that way, we are fully, we can be fully who we are. There's a psychologist, Christian psychologist by the name of David Benner. He wrote a book, uh, Gift of Being Yourself. In, in it, he says, the more we experience and become more like Jesus, the more we become more like Jesus, we become uniquely our own. The more we become and, and be in God's love and, and be, try to become more like Jesus, we truly find who we are and all that we are. We don't have to try to find ourselves outside of that, you know, through our gifts and, and our experiences and all of this. It is in the love of God that we get to truly find who we are. So, friends, um, I want us to just take a moment and think about this. Have you experienced this kind of love? Where God is, you see God just pursuing after you for who you are. That he loves you just as you are. And he believes that you will be the fulfillment of the desires that he has, that he had on his mind when he created you. 
Have you experienced this kind of assurance, this kind of love? So if I may just ask you to stand um, to your feet. If you can just invite, I invite you to stand. And I just want us to just take a moment asking the Lord, if you have not experienced this kind of love of God, I just want to invite you to say, God, I don't know what this kind of love feels like. I don't know what this, this kind of love is, if it is real or not. But if it is true, if you are real, can you show me? Can you come through? May your love come to me. Just take a moment and ask God to give you, to give you that experience of his love for you. If you have already experienced this kind of love and what this love is like, can you take a moment to ask God to refill you with his love once again? Refill you afresh. Scripture tells us that God knows us by our name. Can you hear God calling you by your name? Say, son, I love you. Daughter, I love you. And I want you to be perfected in my love so that you can live fully into who you are and not try to impress other people, other things. Father loves you. He embraces you. He accepts you. God is extending his hand to you and says, Son, grab a hold of my hand. I want to give you a big hug. You don't have to be perfect. Just say yes. I want my love to be poured out to you. Daughter, I see you. I see you crying. I see your struggles. Come to me. You don't have to do it alone. You don't have to do this life alone. I want to do it with you. I want to give you my love.
Lord, that it is we have an active role. That we're not passive in this relationship with Jesus. We are active. Choose for yourself today who will fill your heart. Choose for yourself today where you will stand. bring healing to their bodies, healing to their minds, healing to their soul and their spirit, Lord. And as for your transforming power to be so evident that the testimony of Jesus Christ will be live and well in this body, Lord. Thank you, in Jesus' name.